Good evening. Or should I say, praise the Lord. It's great to be able to praise the Lord, isn't it? I think of many Christians in the world today, particularly associated with the persecuted church, and because they refuse to deny the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, some of them are being slaughtered, some of them being put to death, some of them being cruelly beaten, and others, their churches are being destroyed. But that's only the physical building. Thanks very much, thank you. That's only the physical building. The spiritual building is alive, and Christ is the head of his church. And Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Isn't that a wonderful promise we have? Eh? It not only lasts for time, it goes right into eternity, and it's from the Lord of glory himself. What a wonderful saviour. I think probably tonight um, I was asking, seeking the Lord about what I should bring to you. And I know we've entered the Christmas season and it's easy just to fall into the pattern of preaching about the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I want to talk about something which is associated with that tonight. It's about birth, but it's the new birth. It's about being born of the Spirit of God. But before I get into that, let me just share probably something about myself since this is my first time here. Is that okay? Um, I was brought up in a, um, a, a wee brethren church in Plains. Is anybody familiar with the village of Plains? A friend there. Well, I went along to the Sunday school, to the Bible class, and Christianity was not for me. I had made up my mind. My mother and father were Christians. My father was a backslider. I saw some of the things that he was getting into and understood them. Some of them were demonic. I want to make that clear. My mother, to be fair, was the faithful one in our household who took us along to the church, to the wee brethren assembly, every Lord's Day. And all credit to her. I remember as a young boy of 13 years of age um, and approaching that time for about the full time of a year from 12 up to the age of 13 I began to steal, I, be I became a thief my father was a commercial traveller and in our house there was an alcove which he had converted into a kind of glass cabinet and two cupboards on either side and I knew where he kept his money belt, his, the thing that he put all his cash in. So I waited till he wasn't around and I thought, it's easy enough for me to slip my hand in there and few bob into my pocket and away you go. Nobody knows. My father wouldn't even know. But he did. And I was really quite silly because he counted his money each week and he knew exactly what he should have and he began to realise he was shot. But he didn't know at that time what was happening to his money. So again, I just kept on going. And I was having a great time. My pals at school were loving me because I had money in my pocket. And I would spend money and it was nothing for me to go up and bring out a two bob bit or, or a half crown. Do you remember that? Yeah. Some of us that are more mature. And of course, uh, I could feel my way in the difference in the sizes. And of course, I would start to go for the bigger one. And it was all cash he had. He didn't have much in the way of notes. But what he had in the way of notes, he kept separate in a wallet. But the cash bag was there. 
One day he came into the house and he says, Robbie, I want a word with you. So what is it? What are you doing with my money? Me? What do you mean, what am I doing with your money? He says, you're stealing money out of my cash bank. I says, no, no. Not only was I a thief, I became a liar. And do you know something? You tell one lie to cover another lie. Well, anyway, he decided he was taking me down to the police station in Airdrie in Anderson Street. So, dragged me down into the van he had and drove me down. Right, he says, what are you going to do? I'll not do it again, honestly, I'll not do it again. But you know, it had got a grip of me. And that's what sin is like. It gets a grip of you. And it turns you into something that you ought not to be. It got a grip of me. And he brought me back up the road. Well, the practice continued and he knew it. And he got heavy handed. Not that he would lift his hands to me. But he began to deny me some of the things that I liked. So I looked elsewhere. And I knew where my sister kept her pocket money. That was the next thing. And then I would go into shops. And I was at the high school at this stage. And there was a shop up here. At top of the cross called Craig's. It was a, a stationer's. And it was like a magnet. You could go in there and take pencils and pens. And rulers and rubbers and whatever you wanted. And I'd go to school and I'd sell them to somebody for a few pence. But it was money in my pocket. That's what like I was. And all the time I'm going along here to this Bible class at Elam Hall in Plains and it meant nothing to me. And I remember one Sunday, it was the 3rd of March 1963, I'll never forget it to this day. Um, I, I sat down in the back seat of that wee hall, a bench, and there was some leaflets on it. I can't even remember the name of the leaflets, but it was quite a common thing. And I picked up this leaflet and I began to read it. And I don't know what happened. I began to cry. And I'm trying to cover up my tears. And didn't know what was wrong with me. And it was a story of a missionary. That was pointing a young man. To Jesus Christ. And as I read that story. Here was a young man. And he was doing exactly the same things as I was doing. He was stealing. He was a thief. And I broke down. I couldn't understand what was wrong. And this young man's telling him the gospel message. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. And I'm saying, perish, perish? What do you mean perish? And I began to tremble. And there was a very godly man in that church. There was a number of godly men. But this man was, I, I, I knew him. I trusted him. I loved him, strangely. His name was Robert Proudfoot. And he came walking up towards me. He says, Robert, is there something wrong? I said, don't know what's wrong. I was crying. don't know what's wrong. He says, what are you doing? He says, I'm reading this story here. And he knew. The Spirit of God was beginning to work in my heart. The seed that that missionary sowed to that wee boy that I read, it took root in my heart. And I began to hate my sin. Never ever in my life did I ever know anything about hating sin. I want to ask you tonight, do you hate your sin? As Christians we still sin. We haven't got this, this perfect body yet that we're going to get in a day that lies ahead. We're still in the flesh. I'm just going to move this back a wee bit in case I go for a, a bird. 
But you know, that day Robert Proudfoot took me through into a small room at the, at the front of the church and he said this to me. He said, listen you to me. He said, God is working in your heart and he wants to change your life. I said, but you don't know what light my life is. And I was angry with myself because I became aware of truth. That to steal was wrong. We were breaking God's law. To lie was wrong. I was breaking God's law. And when he opened up the word of God to me, he said, listen, I'm going to take you to that verse, John 3 and 16. For God so loved Robert Dyer. He says, when Jesus died on the cross, Robert, he died for you. I says, what? It was the first that had ever dawned on me that Jesus had died for me. He says, when Jesus died on that cross, he died for you. And when he died on that cross, see all the sins that you've committed. And the ones that you're committing now and the ones that you're going to commit in the future because you're no perfect. Jesus died and he took the punishment of God for your sin on the cross. There's a hymn that says, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. And that day, I wept. And I bowed my knee and confessed my sin and acknowledged the Lord Jesus Christ as my Saviour. I remember they had a ministry meeting in, in the afternoon. It was quite common for Brian. I don't know, the, the format's a wee bit kind of changed now, I think. Uh, particularly, particularly those who are of a stricter view. And that, uh, no, that's not a criticism, that's just an observation. But they would have the, the, the breaking of bread in the morning and the Sunday school and the Bible class in the afternoon. And then they would have a ministry meeting in the, in, uh, in the afternoon as well, right after that. And then they would have a gospel meeting at night. And that afternoon there was a ministry meeting on. And my mother was coming down. And I couldn't stop crying. I couldn't stop weeping. God touched my heart. And I've never been the same again. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Paul writes to the church at Corinth. 2, 5, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. He says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Brand new person. Isn't that wonderful? brand new person this baby that was born in Bethlehem of Judea wow that's a story isn't it but when it becomes real in your life he didn't just come to be a good man he just didn't come to make good men bad men good or good men better Jesus came to make dead men live dead men cannot resurrect themselves Men and women are dead in their trespasses and their sin. That's what the Bible says. We can't resurrect ourselves. It requires God touching the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, for them to be changed. And for that life to be spiritually resurrected. And for that life to then live according to the plan that God has. What about you tonight? Has God touched your heart? Are you living according to the plan that he's got for your life? Well, that was just the beginning of the changes that took place in my life. I got baptised. Acts 2 and 46 or 47 it says, They that gladly received his word were baptised. 
And a couple of years later, Peter McKinley, another guy in the meeting, and myself, we got baptised. And it was fantastic. And my brother and I began to go out and take meetings. And the first meeting that we ever took in our late teens was in Duke Street Mission in Glasgow. Guess what happened? A woman got saved. A woman was born again of the Spirit of God. It was so thrilling for us. Young men, Kenny, my brother and I, playing the guitars. And away we went and we had a fantastic time. And God was good. And we saw people being born again of the Spirit of God. And their lives transformed. That woman that night, a young woman, a prostitute. God saves prostitutes. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. He saves thieves and liars, saves adulterers. doesn't matter what kind of sin that you have in your heart or in your life. doesn't matter how deep-rooted it is. The blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross of Calvary cleanses us from... What was that? All sin. You're right. There is absolutely nothing that the blood of Christ doesn't touch. What a saviour we have. Eh? No wonder we just rise and worship and praise and glorify his wonderful name. Will you turn with me tonight to John chapter 3? We're going to read that. I'm reading from uh, the New American Standard Version. I don't know if you'll have that in front of you, but uh, you'll forgive me if there's some slight differences in the text. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, now I want you to watch these words. Truly, truly, they're really important. The emphasis on these words is this, that there is absolutely no doubt. When you look at the Greek for these words, it just means it's absolute. There is truth behind what is being said. When you're out in the street talking to some of your pals, sometimes you don't know whether they're telling you a lie or not, or whether you're getting a wee half-truth, or whether you're getting a change to your story. You've heard of uh, Chinese whispers, you know, and, and the whisper becomes... A major crime, you know, it's, it's sad. But these words, truly, truly, or verily, verily, depends if you're reading the King James Version. It means there is absolute truth behind what Jesus is saying. And the first statement he makes here, he says, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Wow. I have some friends and I have spoken time and time again to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they seem to think that because that they go to church, they're going to heaven. Now, I can understand their misconception. Because some ministers will actually preach from the pulpit. And I've heard even in their own place, a false gospel. There's one gospel. Jesus said, except you are born again of the Spirit of God, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. So the question for us is then, what does this mean? 
What does it mean to be born again of the Spirit of God? Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Here we go again. Truly, truly. Now there is absolutely nothing wrong with what Jesus is saying. The truth of his word is absolute. And he says this, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Now if there's one thing I've learned through reading the Bible, if something is said once, that's good. If something is said twice, that for me is more than sufficient. But if something is said three times, God is deliberately trying to convey to you the importance of what he is saying. And three times he uses these these words, truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say unto you, or surely, surely. There's an absolute perfection in what he is saying. And he says, truly, truly, I say unto you in verse 5, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I say unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but... You do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So everyone who is born of the Spirit, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, are you a teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Here we go again. Truly, truly I say unto you, we speak of what we know. We testify of what we have seen. And you do not accept our testimony. What what testimony? Who are the we here? There was the Father. John 17, if you want to read about the testimony of the Father, it's fantastic in the high priestly prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the Son. Jesus testified concerning himself. There's also a work of the Holy Spirit going on. Bringing men and women to a deep conviction of who Jesus actually was. And this Bible that we've got here is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is a a book right at the very end of it. uh, The book of Revelation which is specifically about uh, end times and end times prophecy. Chapter 1 we've got the resurrected glorified Christ. Chapter 2 and 3 we have the letters to the seven churches. Chapters 4 and 5 the church is caught up into heaven. John is there. The Lord looks down upon him and he says come up here. And I tell you the day is not far away. When the Lord is going to come to the air and take his waiting people home, are you ready? Because after that there will be a day of judgment coming. When those of us who are in Christ will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. But those of us who have never been born again of the Spirit of God, we will be judged at the great white throne. What a judgment that will be. And then of course... Chapters 6 right through to 19, we have that terrible period of tribulation. Three and a half years of plenty, three and a half years of tribulation. Right in the middle of it, Daniel's prophecy will be fulfilled. The man of sin that sets up a treaty with Israel, right in the middle of that, three and a half years, he will break it. And an awful war 
hellish forces will be set loose and the nation of Israel will be in real trouble but Christ is coming as their conqueror then when we get to chapter 20 we have the judgments in chapter 21 and 22 we have the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven as a bride to dawn for her husband and we're home and driver in the glory isn't it going to be wonderful fantastic absolutely tremendous I found myself ministering to someone this week who had lost a loved one and you know the joy the joy in that was this that the loved one was saved and their confidence was in God and when we are born again of the spirit of God we are given a hope a hope which cannot be seen if it could be seen then it wouldn't be hope but there's a day coming when our hope in Christ will be realized and we'll stand with him and we'll see him face to face what a day that's going to be well let's continue with our reading I digressed a wee bit there but I'm sure the Lord is is touching our hearts Um, let's go to verse 12 have I told you earthly things and you do not believe how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things no one has ascended into heaven but he that descended from heaven the son of man for as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up so that whosoever believes in him now have you got this I want you to this is the simplicity of the gospel message whosoever believes in him they shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. Isn't that wonderful? There's a moment of faith when God touches the heart, when the seed of the word of God is sown in the heart, and it comes to life, and it brings conviction. And you hate your sin. You can't stand it. You think of all the sin that you've committed. And all of a sudden you hate it, and you want to be rid of it. Become burdened by it. I'm thinking of the guy in the Pilgrim's Progress. What's his name that came to the cross? Can't have forgotten offhand. Onion. He was burdened, burdened by his sin and he fell. I wonder tonight, are you burdened by sin? I want to tell you, you don't need to be. The good news, that's the bad news. Sin and all that's related to it. The judgment of it. The punishment for it. But the good news is this, that Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. When he died there, he took your sin away. If you're willing to believe, that redemption will be applied to you. You'll be born again of the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God will enter your heart. It will change your life completely. What a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful message. John 3 and 16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not judged. And I want you to listen to this. This is very important. I had the, the occasion about four months ago to speak to someone about this. And it says, he who believes in him is not judged. But he who does not believe has been judged already. All of us as unbelievers 
have been judged already. Why? Because we believe not in the name of the only begotten Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, separation from God is our default position. I heard the false gospel being preached one night in a tent. It was in a tent mission. And the guy said, he says, he said, I want to tell you this. He says, tonight you can choose, your, choose to put up your hand whether you want to go on the bus that goes to heaven or, or choose whether you want to go on the bus that goes to hell. I was utterly astounded. This is a man that professed to be a preacher of the word of God. Never, never in your life. You know the soapy story. Never in your life, boy, your luck's out. This guy, this guy was of his father the devil that would ever preach such a gospel. Our default position is that we are lost. Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to our own way. And God the Father hath laid on the Son the iniquity of us all. Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save those who are lost. If it was possible to choose whether he wanted to go on the bus to go to heaven or on the bus to go to hell, what was the point of the death of Christ? There was absolutely no point in the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. But Christ's death became necessary for a number of reasons. First of all, he was the only one that could satisfy the Father's heart for the purposes of redemption of mankind. It's called in the Bible a, a theological word called propitiation. He satisfied God's heart when he went to the cross and he gave his life for you and I. He satisfied God's heart because in the shedding of his blood he was able to remit the sins of everybody that would come to him. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want to ask you, are you saved? <laughs> are you born again? And I want to quickly move on. So what is this new birth? This new birth is the life of God in the soul of man. It's wonderful. We've reached that time in our calendar in the year when we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to tell you a story that was actually happened. My wife and I were, were in Thirling, the Stirling Shopping Centre going through the Thistle Centre. Do you know it? Yeah, some of you will know it. You women like shopmen spending your men's money there. <coughs> Well, anyway, we were walking through there and there was a lady with a kind of trolley in the middle of that shopping centre and she was offering uh, to manicure uh, people's nails. And so she stopped my wife and my daughter and she said, excuse me, could, could, could I manicure your nails? And of course Ruth and Alison were quite happy with the way their nails were. Well, we walked on. And all of a sudden, God spoke to me. He said, go back and speak to that woman about her soul. And I said to Ruth, listen, I need to go back and speak to this woman about her soul. Hold on a minute. Come on. 
So I went back and said, excuse me, madam, could I have a word with you? Oh, she said, are you looking for a manicure? I said, no, honestly, I'm not looking for a manicure. I said, but God has spoken to me about you. And I said, I want to speak to you about your soul. And she got very angry. She said, you don't know anything about me. How dare you dare come up here to me and say that you want to speak to me about my soul. Anyway, who is your God? And I said, my God is a Jesus that was born in Bethlehem of Judea. And immediately she broke out into her mother tongue. She was an Israeli woman, a Jewish woman. And she said to me, now I know why God has sent you back to me. She says, I also was born in Bethlehem of Judea. And she says, what is it that you want with me? I said, it's not what I want with you, it's what God wants with you. See, salvation begins with God. And it ends with God as well. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? It's not dependent on me. It's utterly dependent on Him. But the evidence that I'm truly saved is a changed life. I'm walking with him and talking with him. And there in the busy shopping centre that day, I shared with her the gospel of Jesus Christ. How did that baby who was born in Bethlehem of Judea went to a Roman cross and he gave his life for her. Her name, Ela Benjamin. Jewish lady who was overtraining in London, one of the London universities, and came up to do some summer work in Stirling to get some money to help pay her way. And I tell you, that day she bowed her head and she yielded her life to Jesus Christ. What a saviour we've got. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who it is. If you're a Christian in here tonight, I want to say to you, Don't hesitate to share your faith. God will honour his word. He always does. And in the strangest of circumstances. I often quote the words of the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. Who were in argumentative mood. Paul plants. Apollos waters. It's God that gives the increase. You see salvation starts with God. And I'm so glad I've been hearing from Graham tonight about the work that's being done here. And the growth of this fellowship. Be faithful to God. He will bless what you are doing here. And this blessing, I can see that. Because he's God. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So what does it mean? To be born of God. It's about confession of sin. It's about realising you're a sinner. It's about repentance. That means turning your back on your sin. And going the opposite way. You won't do that on your own. It's about the faith that God plants in your heart through his word. And will cause you to believe and trust him. What a wonderful saviour. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Let the word of God take root in your heart tonight. He will save you by his grace and he will keep you by his power. What does it mean to call upon them? Romans 
10 and 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, it means to look away from yourself. It means to look away from your religion. It means not to depend on your church. It means that you have to look away from things like a baptism. Half the people saying to me, I'm going to, I'm going to heaven because I was baptized as a child. No. If it was possible for us to go to heaven uh, through being baptized, what's the point of death, Christ's death on the cross? Keep coming back to it. The cross is central to the salvation that God has provided through Jesus Christ for mankind. I know that everybody won't get saved. I know that. The Bible tells me that. Broad is the road, said Jesus, that leads to destruction. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life eternal. Few there be that find it. To look away from all of your good works and all of your righteousness. I was out visiting a lady last Wednesday. And um, the circumstances came about in, in a very, very unexpected way. I got a phone call. I head up the prayer chain in our church. And this lady phoned me, Robert, could you play for a woman called May Curley? I said, yeah, okay. I said, May Curley. I said, I know a May Curley. She said, how do you know her? I said, she used to work beside me in Devro. I don't know if it's the same May Curley. She said, it is. May worked in Devro at the Bell Hill plant. Wow. And she said, she's, she's got uh, um, bowel cancer. So she, she's, she's, I told her we had a prayer chain and asked her if it would be alright for us to put a, a prayer request through the chain for her. I said, yes, that would be wonderful. So we prayed for her and we prayed for her. And she was due to go in for her operation and get sent home because another two emergencies came in. But the following week they took her in and they operated. And I'm not a medical person, but I understand that when they take away a part of the bowel, they will check each side of that bowel all the way around to make sure there are no cancerous cells. And May became very depressed. She waited and waited, and, and the family actually brought her home. Brought her home from hospital because of her depression. And she got word a fortnight later to say... That she was clear of cancer. Isn't God good? Now I know some people will say, why does it not happen all the time? That's something we'll need to ask the Lord when we get to glory. I don't know. I don't know why my father had cancer. I don't know why my mother had a severe heart problem, but she lived to the age of 94. I don't know why I had a heart attack in 2014. I don't know why 10 years earlier I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. I don't know why I've got psoriasis. I don't know why I had a knee operation a fortnight ago. And by the way, for those who were praying, thank you. God was good. I don't know why. There are things in this world it's not given for us to know. God doesn't always reveal everything to us. Paul says to the Corinthian church, Now we see through a glass darkly, but then, face to face, all will be revealed. The things that we don't know now. I'm sure of this, that they'll be revealed to us in the glory. Jesus says, Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. 
you want to come to Christ tonight, you can be assured of this. He will hear your heart's cry. He will receive you. You know, John says that Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. John chapter 1. But unto as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. You can be part of the family of God tonight. Simply through faith in Jesus Christ. He's wonderful. Will you yield yourself to him? Will you tell yourself that you've sinned and you cannot save yourself? Will you call upon him? And ask him to save you by his grace? If you call upon him at this moment in time, I can assure you on the authority of the word of God, he will save you from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. Every last whit. Our God is not a partial God. He doesn't do things, bits and pieces here and there, like some of our politicians. He does it from start to finish. And if you will yield your life to Christ tonight, I'm going to tell you it's not an easy life, a Christian life, but I'll tell you it's blessed. It's blessed when you spend time in the presence of God. Let me finish with a final story. Thirty years ago, I was travelling home from work and I had a colleague with me. His name was Peter. Peter said to me, he says, Rob, he says, I'll see you after our days off. We worked a continental shift pattern. Four days off. I said, well, I hope so, Peter. But I says, I don't know if I'll see you or not. He says, why? I said, because I might be dead. He says, well, what? I says, I might be dead. What do you mean you might be dead? He says, is there something wrong with you? I says, no. <laughs> he says, we can never tell when we face death. And I says, alternatively, the Lord Jesus Christ in whom I trust is coming back again. So he might be here. No man knoweth the day nor the hour that the Son of God will return. It's known only to the Father. Oh, he says, I'm away. <laughs> So he went. I want to say this to you. Just sow good seed. Keep sowing good seed. Because it will bring forth fruit and a harvest for the glory of God. That was on the Sunday night. On the Monday. A knock came to the door. Ruth went and answered the door. And came in to see me. She says, Robert, there's a guy called Peter standing at the door wanting to speak to you. I said, bring him in. And he said to me, he says, I want to tell you something. I says, what? He says, see when you went home last night, he says, I was trembling. I says, why were you trembling? He says, because I had a book in the house. He says, I was given years ago. And he says, I decided I was going home to dig it out and read it. And do you know what that book was? A copy of the Gospel of John. And he turned to John 3 and 16. And he sat down in the city. He says, can you explain this to me? <laughs> and I did. I gladly explained the gospel to Peter. And on our living room floor, we both fell on our knees. And he received Christ as his saviour. Isn't that wonderful? A few years later, he was on my shift at work. I was a manager of one of the production shifts. And he said to me, 
He came into the office one day and says, Robert, says, I'm not really feeling very well. I said, I looked at him and I said, this guy doesn't look well at all. So I called two of the guys off the shift and we carried him through to the first aid room. And I phoned an ambulance. His heart was racing. To cut a long story short, he was taken to Herr Myers and given two stents. And if, that hadn't, if the intervention hadn't come at that point in time, he would have died. And you know, when he was in Herr Meyer's hospital, his brother died of a heart attack. His mother and father had previously died of heart attacks. And when he got better and he came back to work, he came in to see and he said, listen, he says, that's twice you've saved me. <laughs> I knew what he meant. I said, Peter, I said, the Lord was in the midst of both problems. The problem of your sin and the problem of your heart. I said, I'm going to tell you something. The problem of mankind is the problem of their heart. Where is your heart tonight? Have you been washed clean in the blood of the Lamb? Have you yielded your life to Jesus Christ? Have you been born again of the Spirit of God? Maybe you think you're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. Maybe you feel you're too young or too old. You know that Moses was 80 when God called him. Jeremiah was a young man when God called him. Samuel was a child. Your age is irrelevant. But God is calling you tonight to come to repentance and faith in him. Will you do so? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you will be truly born again of the Spirit of God. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living, sharper than, active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we pray tonight, Lord, that your word will find a place in someone's heart. I don't know these people, Lord, but you know them. Every last one of them. And you know their hearts. And we pray tonight that you will bring conviction of sin, righteousness and judgment to come. We think of that day when you looked upon us, Lord, and you saw us as poor, wretched sinners, those of us who never believed. And then when we were born again of the Spirit of God, you saw us clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so we ask tonight, Father, that you will touch someone's heart. We ask that you will give them the humility to repent and deciding grace and faith to believe. Hear our prayers this night. For we offer them in the worthy name of our Saviour, who is alive and well and seated at the Father's right hand. And to him be glory and honour forever and ever. Amen. Amen.